The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. But for us, what's way more valuable to us, because we're not going to be doing this workout in competition, we're just training for it, is can you feel, and that's the big word there, can you feel the red line? Can you feel what 70% feels like? Can you feel what 85% feels like? Can you feel what 95% feels like? And can you feel 100? That way, when you get into another workout, you know that feeling. And the idea behind all of it is we want to be at or around threshold. Like depending on the length of the workout, as long as it's over five minutes, we are going to be at our threshold. The biggest, most overlooked aspect of our sport is can you identify what that feels like? We are here because we know the outcomes in our lives are within our control. That taking absolute ownership of how we eat, sleep, train, think, and connect with each other is how we'll optimize our health and happiness. That chasing excellence is how we grab hold of what is possible. Our mission is to live on the run, always chasing, never stop. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Chasing Excellence. How are you doing, Ben? I'm doing good. Thanks, Patrick. Today we are back inside of my Instagram DMs to uh, to bring everybody another two-minute drill. Two-minute drill is when, as I mentioned, uh, listeners send us questions. I present them to you with the challenge of having you answer them within two minutes, which actually last time we did this, you were you were very good at keeping your answers under two minutes. I've gotten better at talking really, really fast. <laughs> uh, before we do, though, this episode is brought to you by Inside Tracker. Using science and technology to deliver ultra personalized guidance, Inside Tracker can help you optimize your body. Visit insidetracker.com/comptrain to learn more and get twenty five percent off. Again, that's insidetracker.com/comptrain. All right. As always, these questions are not quite random. Um, certainly within the scope of things we often talk about, but the order of them is random. Actually, you know what? I say that. And then I just realized this is actually CrossFit Games slash CompTrain-ish focus because the, the Open is coming up. And so I Let's picked, do it. I totally forgot. I, t- I picked questions that are uh, related to, useful to athletes either competing in the Open, trying to compete for beyond the Open. Um, so not as random as our usual two-minute drills. Cool. Cool. All right. First one. You often say that strength takes years to build and conditioning can be improved in months. With the Open coming up, what should an average 40-year-old lady, uh, parentheses me, be doing to, pre- pre- uh, to be doing to prepare or improve my engine? Newsflash, Patrick is a 40-year-old lady. I am a 40-year-old lady. lady. Whoa, this is Sometimes hot off the... Yeah. All right. Uh, yes, the Open is on the way. And yes, the Open is primarily a test of your engine. Yes, there is some skills. Yes, there is some loading, but um, the majority of your scores can basically come down to your work capacity. So um, listener, appreciate it. Good question. Um, How do you improve your engine? So we are now about a month away from the start of the open. 
if we were eight months away, I'd have a different answer for you. Right yeah. now, what we want to do is we want to work on some of the higher end things specific to what we're going to see in. So basically, you're topping it off. You're trying to peak the aerobic engine. And this is for people that want to maximize their capacity. In the open, we're going to do things like assault bike intervals. We're going to do things with... Um, so my suggestion is do your regular programming. You follow comp train or you do your regular gym programming. Um, go through that. That still is the number one thing you should be doing. But then afterwards, as your little quote unquote accessory work, do little quick little um, burners. So a couple different ways to do that is one is sport specific, meaning that you're going to do it with light enough loads. So this is what burners are. Burners can fall in two different categories. Sport specific, A, which is with the specific movements we plan on seeing in the open. So something like pairing an elegant couplet, meaning barbell in gymnastics primarily, but it could be monostructural. If it's going to be monostructural, you're going to choose rowing because it's Mm -hmm. the only monostructural that ever showed up and make them so they don't interfere with each other. Something like overhead squats and toes to bar. And you're just going to do light enough loads, light enough reps that you can just keep going. The idea is make your engine the limiting factor in this, not the skill or not the rep scheme. So what you don't want to do is 30 overhead squats at 135 and 30 toes to bar AMRAP Mm -hmm. 30. Like that's just, that's not what this is about. What you might want to do is something like 10 overhead squats at 95 or 65 pounds for guys, girls, and 10 toes to bar and do that for, um, and on the minute. So, um, if you're good enough, you get those both inside the same minute. If you're not, you splice them out. Maybe you're doing five and five and six and six, whatever that right number is for you to just basically be able to get about 20, 15, 20 seconds rest and you're still just moving. You're moving. You're moving. It's very, it's not come out super hot and fall apart. It's very paced and go. The second part of it, and I'm sure I'm overstepping my two minute boundaries at this point, is um, to do like a true burner, which is jump on a salt bike. It's not sport specific. We're not going to see assault bikes most likely in the open, but man, do they open up your lungs and just do some um, one minute on, one minute off of assault bike for, um, you know, somewhere between five and 10 rounds of that. Got it. All right. How should athletes still learning all the CrossFit skills balance adding supplemental work to get those skills? I want handstand push-ups, muscle-ups, bigger sets of doubles, toes to bar, pull-ups. I already follow CompTrain individual open, which trains the skills, but I'm not sure how to, I'm not sure how often to add drills and progression work for those higher level skills. Okay, so I could start off every single answer with this with it depends, because mm-hmm. that's obvious. So I'm gonna Try not to respond with every every single mm-hmm. question. It depends, but it does depend on how good those skills are right now. If you can get um, 10, 11, 12 unbroken muscle ups, you training the skill aspect of the muscle up might not be as important. If you can't get a muscle up yet, like stop all things and work on that. Nothing will improve your finishes more in the CrossFit Open than getting that first muscle up. That first muscle up, the differentiator between having it and not having it is like tens of thousands of places. <laughs> So literally that one muscle up. So while I'm trying as hard as I can not say it depends on how to work this in, it totally, totally does. If you're telling me you can get 50, 60, 70 double unders unbroken, but man, I just can't seem to get um, 200 inside of two minutes. That's not going to be as important to us as if you're saying like, I still can't link two double unders together. Mm -hmm. If it's a matter of 
taking the first steps of literally checking the box, I have these things, they're more important than anything else. Because if you don't have it, you're stopped dead in your tracks. It's more important than your work capacity, your fitness. That's where skills actually become the number one determinant of your performance. So if it is the type of thing we need to work on a ton, work on it a ton and do it before your conditioning sessions. Mm. Most likely these are skill development things which need to be done in a controlled rested state, not a pre-fatigue state. If it's more of endurance and stretching out, do it after your workout. And if it's skills, you could do it five, six times a week. If it's more capacity, it becomes once or twice a week. Got it. I've been competing as an intermediate athlete for a while now, but want to get into RX. How soon is too soon? I don't have muscle ups yet, and my lifts are all within five kilograms of advertised weight suggestions for my local competitions. I don't want to skip the struggle and rush, but I think I will enjoy stepping up and pushing myself. Okay, uh, cool. So kudos to this person for wanting to step up and not just be the biggest fish in the little pond. I love right. that. Um, super cool. That's a competitor. Good on you. Um, based off of this few things in that question, which is like, I've been an intermediate for a while. Um, and I'm ex- and the other thing he said uh, or she said was, I'm excited. For that person, mm-hmm. I would say, go now. Like, go now. Like, you're excited. You want to see it. And you've been doing this for a while. If you hadn't said either of those two things, and certainly if you hadn't said both of them, I would have said, Let's just put the pause button on a little bit and embrace the suck for where you are. But for right now, man, right now, girl, just go. (laughs) Awesome. Next one. I am a CrossFit athlete looking to be uh, top 10% in the open this year. I also want to join my college's club soccer team with soccer as my main athletic focus while continuing to incorporate CrossFit training to maintain a solid base of fitness. How do you recommend going about that? (laughs) Ah, okay. It matters how much you want that 10% and where you think you are right now. So I'm I'm trying to not use word depends. (laughs) So if you think that if, if we were to like take last year's finish and you were in the 50th percentile, I would say that you're going to have to bust your ass in the gym to get Mm -hmm. to that 10%. If you're telling me last year you were um, in 13th percent and now you're looking, then I would say keep doing what you're doing. Like just keep mm-hmm. going and see where you can go. And that's a great goal. If you miss it, you miss it because your number one priority is actually club soccer. Mm-hmm. And it's just a nicety. It's not a must have. And that goes, you know, when we talk about triathlon world, it's A priority races and B priority races. If this is a B priority for you, like just kind of Use it as a thing that motivates you a little bit. It doesn't have to be the thing you live and breathe and die by. Instead, yeah. focus on your top priority, which is soccer. Just for just for maybe context for me, but maybe for everybody, 10%, like where the sport is now, is that uh is that the elite of the elite? Like where does 10 where does the you know top 10% yeah, here, no, right around? So this like is 10, super 11%. cool what they've done. So like like I don't I'm let me say it. This is super cool. They like this new ownership is this is really smart. And I say new ownership. I don't know if it was Castro's idea or whatever, but this new format is awesome. So what they've done is they've created a season for us. Mm-hmm. Last year was weird and strange, and yep. but it went the open, and you qualified through for the games through the open. Like that kind of sucked. Yep. Um, the year before that, it was these sanctioned events and the open. But basically, it was like. 
there's a couple dozen people in the world that got to play at the next level. Mm. Now what they're doing is there's the open and 10%, this is my understanding, from each region get to play at the next level mm. and in a quarterfinals. That is so much more than even when it was the regionals format. Because in the regionals format, there's 400,000 people competing. Then from there, it went to uh, 40 athletes per, about 400 people. Mm-hmm. So it went to 400. I don't know what the percentage is, but that's really little. That's less than, is that 0.1%? 0.1%. Yep. Um, now it's going from 0.1%, or is that 1%? Oh, it's exposing my horrific math. Damn you, Patrick, in this follow-up question. Um, from, from there, it's now going to 10%. There, yep. it's, which 10% of its 40,000 people are going to play at the next level. Mm-hmm. So it's going from 400 people to 40,000 people. So I lay that out there to answer your question. It is not mm-hmm. the elite of the elite. Mm-hmm. The elite of the elite is what makes it to the next stage, which is the semifinals. I shouldn't say that. That's the elite. And the elite of the elite is the games, right? Yep. So the elite of the elite is the games. The elite is semifinals. And the competitor field, all the people that are going to di- identify themselves as I compete in this sport are the quarterfinal people. And then the open is there for everybody. Mm-hmm. So for me, what a cool new thing to shoot for, the quarterfinals. Like I now, and that's going to be the top 10%, but really like if you're in the top 25, you got a shot because mm. man, if you added a couple extra reps on that AMRAP, if you had lifted 10 pounds more, if you gone 10 seconds faster than that one, you might be there mm-hmm. and that gets really exciting. And the quarterfinal, I assume that's going to be an online uh, yes, qualifier correct. as well. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's a lot of people though. Okay. Right. Correct. Interesting. Um, got it. Cool. Next question is a little bit of a long one, but, um, a good one. I currently follow a generic CrossFit weightlifter program and feel like when I, when I know I have more than one wad in a session, I tend to hold some back or maybe work at 60 to 70%. When I do a benchmark workout, I give 110% as I know that there's a quote unquote leaderboard and I can rank my percentile and track if I perform well. I, uh, I come out of that workout feeling great from the effort I put in, but I know that this is unsustainable for two or three times uh, per day or per session. Uh, is it better to do one workout at 100% per day or two to three workouts at 60 to 70%? My end goal is to be competitive in the sport. And I feel like on, on the competition floor, it's going to be, um, but I feel like on the competition floor, uh, going being able to give 100, 100% each time is the best uh, is the best thing. Is this the best way to train for this? Uh, to go 100% every session, or will this lead to burnout? Okay. Um, so the so, first part, yeah. So yeah. pet peeve, the 110%. They they kind of correct <laughs> themselves along the way, but why That's are you stopping at 110? Yeah, yeah. Like why are you stopping at 110? Like, dude, go do 150. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's funny. He did correct himself, or, or she yes. corrected herself halfway through. <laughs> so I. Um, that's a great question. It's long-winded and there's a lot of um, stuff in there, but it's a great question. I'm going to, I'll surmise it. Should we do multiple workouts at a lower percentage of my, my max intensity or should I go one balls to the walls? All I got. Yep. Um, my fear is that if I go uh, multiple balls to the walls, I'll burn out. Yep. Uh, the answer to that is yes, you're exactly right. That's, that's programming. That's what you want to do. And in our sport, you need to be able to do both. You need to be able to do the single workout. 
let me back up. The really quick answer is just keep doing what you're doing, which is mm-hmm. every now and then you do a benchmark and you bust your ass. You give everything you have. What's really impressive is you give more than what you actually have. You give 110%. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. um, and then all the other workouts, you train at your threshold. That's what threat. That's what's the best part. I would ask mm-hmm. for a little more than 60 or 70%. 67% is almost like training. It's almost like going through the motions. Mm. Um, that would be like zone three. To me, I'd want you at zone four or five, not five plus, but I want you working really hard at your threshold to be able to, because you got to be able to do this in our sport as well, compete, recover, and come back and compete yeah. again. Now, I'm not asking you to do 100% in training, recover, and come back 100%. That is the, the, that is the recipe for burnout. So yes, when you're doing more than one workout a day, pull back a little bit. Like, obviously I'm going to run a marathon, so I'm not going to run my PR mile. Makes sense. But if you're going to be running that one mile that day and that's all you got, that's the day you poured into it a little bit. Mm. Um, I'm I'm sure we've talked about this specifically, but I don't remember um, what your answer was. When you, when you say like, okay, I want to, I want you at 70%, 80%. Do you literally say, okay, here's this workout at maximum, you know, at maximum intensity, you can probably do it in seven and a half minutes what's 70, 80% of that. And then that's what we're aiming for. Like, how do you actually gauge? No, cause you don't. So yeah, it's a great question, Patrick. It's a really, really strong question because we don't know what that time is. We can guesstimate, yeah. right? If you tell yeah. me that we're going to do, um, um, you know, a, cro- a CrossFit workout, like a uh, um, black and blue, a comp train workout. I could tell you this person, it's going to take them about four and a half minutes, but I also, that's only if I know them really, really well. For most of the case, it's a guessing game. Mm-hmm. So that's, and it's more important. The guessing is actually the, it's the big part of our sport because what you have to be able to do is unlike track where we run, we are 800 meter sprinters. We run 800 meters, 800 meters. Like we can do the absolutes. I know where you're supposed to be at every 100 meters. Yep. And I can tell you today, I want you to run your 800 in uh, 252. And then the next day I want you to run it in, uh, cause I want you to go, I want you to really do this thing. I want you to do it in uh two twenty two. And I can tell you that, but for us, what's way more valuable to us because we're not going to be doing this workout in competition. We're just training for it is, can you feel, and that's the big word there. Can mm-hmm. you feel the red line? Can you feel what 70% feels like? Can you feel what 85% feels like? Can you feel what 95% feels like? And can you feel 100? That way, when you get into another workout, you know that feeling. And the idea behind all of it is we want to be at or around threshold. Like depending on the length of the workout, as long as it's over five minutes, we are going to be at our threshold. The Biggest, most overlooked aspect of our sport is can you identify what that feels like? Not what your heart rate is, not what your pace is, not what the loading is, but what it feels like. Mm-hmm. And that's a really important thing for athletes to start to um, understand, particularly on the competitive side. If you're an everyday gym goer and you're here just to throw down and have some fun, it doesn't really matter as much. But if you're trying to maximize your performance in a sport, oh my gosh, that's that's kind of kind of like the whole deal yeah. is because once you have that, then you know um, when you put in the extra 5% what happens and we put in – take off 5% what happens. Mm-hmm. And then you know how hard to push without blowing up. That's the whole idea. Got it. Got it. Okay. 
Next one. What are your thoughts on two games athletes training together? How do you think that dynamic will work this season? Will Amanda and Catherine be doing different programs, training at different times so they don't push each other too hard, causing burnout, et cetera? And maybe a little bit of context because we haven't talked about uh, yeah. we haven't talked about kind of the new environment that you've got going on. You're you're beginning to get um kind of underway there at, at CrossFit New England and with Conference. Yeah. So maybe we'll save that for another show. We'll talk about sure. the 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 kind of the, we'll do a deeper dive into the, the academy that we're building, yeah. but super excited about it. Yep. Um, but yes, we are pulling in games athletes. We are going to have four games athletes in-house training together. And it's a great question. Um, you have to, we have to be very intentional with how we set this up. And if we do it correctly, we will reap, I, I believe that there will be lots of benefits because of it. Most elite individuals in individual sports come out of academy settings. Yep. So the Chinese weightlifting team trains together. The um, U.S. ski team trains together. USA wrestling. Um, you know, it's it, there's precedent for this across so many other sports. But it, there's we have to be very intentional with creating the right environment. Mm-hmm. And it's unique and it's never been done in our space where, yeah, Matt and Tia train together, but they're not competitors, where we now have to set it up so that these people, these athletes truly understand what it is we're trying to do. And they understand um, the environment. They understand the rules. There's lots of discipline that comes along with it. Because if there's not, people are going to start fraying at the edges. So um, it's a great question and we have to, I, I'll have a much better answer for you in a year, but we are mm. being very intentional and um, cognizant of the fact that we're playing with fire and fire is one of the most important things that humans ever created, but it can also burn the house down. Yeah. All right. Let's definitely do an episode on that because I got lots of questions that I won't, uh, I won't bog this episode down with, but next question. I am a uh, I am a competitor and I've been following comp train for a few years now. I go back and forth between the games track and the open track depending on what time of year it is. I think it is time to start working uh, one-on-one with a coach, but I have no idea how to go about choosing a coach. Any advice? Okay, just some context to that. The games track and open track they're talking about is on the comp train app. Um, so we have two different tracks. Um, one is help you prepare for an online competition like the open because it's they're all lower volume and they all have a certain set of movements. And then the other one's called the games track because they're higher volume, they're in-person events and have a much wider variety of movements like swimming and prowler pushes and um, things like that that would not show up in the open. So that's what this individual is talking about. Um, how to find a coach kind of has nothing to do with that. Mm. <laughs> um, but I'm, I, I appreciate that they gave context to the fact that they do it and bounce around a little bit. Yep. Um, in terms of finding a coach, the biggest thing, like anything, it's any relationship is, do you trust the person? So everything is going to come into play with that. And I would just 100% rely on your gut feeling built into your DNA from the paleo evolutionary aspect of us as human beings. There is this lizard brain. There is this, uh, There's this thing that controls our feelings that you can't put your finger on. You can't say why it is or why it is that you get this weird feeling from this person. You also can't say why you like, you just immediately gravitate towards this person. Don't try to put into words, go with your gut. 
Mm-hmm. It's like if you were dating somebody and you're asking me like, you know, I'm doing, um, I don't know what, I'm doing a dating app and I have these five people that I'm trying to consider who should I have a relationship with. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be able to say like anything concrete there. I'm going to say like, go with your gut. Your gut is telling you the right stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing. Okay. And you could go like, what do they know? What's their background? What's their, ser- yeah. it, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't matter. It, like what your gut is telling you matters the most. Next one, I'm a 45-year-old master's athlete eager to do well in the open. I follow CompTrain, which programs one session a day. What do you, uh, what do, what, uh, what do you think about the wisdom of adding additional conditioning sessions on top, of, um, on top of it? If wise, what are some examples of additional extra credit, quote-unquote, sessions that you would recommend? Yeah, as a master's athlete, I would definitely recommend not doing double sessions. That's a, that's a principle um, I would carry across the board. Are there exceptions? Of course there are. But as a principle, uh, master's athletes should not be doing double sessions. Can they and should they be adding in a little extra supplemental work? Yes, that is definitely a possibility I'd be open to. Mm -hmm. Um, And what does it look like if you're trying to do conditioning? I would do things that are the lowest fatigue factor. And fatigue factor, I would talk about as two different things. There's three ways you can talk about fatigue, but two of them matter here. One is muscular. So it's not going to make you muscularly sore. So like doing a bunch of walking lunges is probably not the right thing because it's going to wreck you for tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And the next one is CNS, which is your central nervous system, which is if it's stressing you out. So if you're getting literally like nervous about this accessory work, I would not add it in. It's going to take you too long to recover from it. And if also, if the loads are so heavy that you kind of have to psych yourself up before you go to the bar or think about it a lot, it's going to be too CNS training. You have to save those for the actual training sessions. If you don't pay the attention to those, your accessory work will be doing more harm than mm. good. Got it. Next question. I feel that I have a decent metabolic condition or I, that I have decent metabolic conditioning, but find myself lacking in the strength. Um, for some context, I'm 29 years old, 170 pounds, deadlift, 330 back squat, 245 snatch, 155 clean and jerk, 200. Considering that you say that strength takes a whole lot longer uh, to train compared to Met, uh, to uh, compared to Metcon, but my goal is the 2022 Open. Should I still follow CompTrain completely, or focus more on a weightlifting program and get back on CompTrain in January of 2022? Okay, cool. So uh, we have 13 months to get ready. Um, that actually, I really appreciate them saying their goal is that, that without that, I wouldn't be able to give a very pointed answer for this. I can, I would continue to follow a well-balanced program like comp train, but dot, 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 put all of your mental energy into the lifts. Like Mm. the lifts are the whole thing for you. Basically, you're going to try to like bring every ounce of your being, all of your focus, every muscle, you're going to feel yourself growing on every single rep. That is your program. You're following the comp train weightlifting program. And the Metcons become your accessory work. It's just the stuff you add in at the end. Got it. If you were telling me that you were shooting for um, the games in five years, I would say, go get strong now. Mm-hmm. If you're saying that... Um, you're trying to shoot for the open this year, I, w- I would just say follow comp train and focus on the Metcons. So that's kind of why that matters as much as it does. Got it. Next question. 
I've been following CompTrain at home by myself for a few months and have noticed huge gains, but I really miss the community of working out in a gym with other members. I rejoined a box, but don't feel like the 60-minute classes are moving the needle, and I might even be losing capacity because they just aren't as challenging as the CompTrain workouts. Any suggestions on how to balance this? Yeah, so um, I feel that. Like I, I, I travel for the summer, and when I stop following the CompTrain workouts, um, I feel like my... And I, I go to a gym and I follow the program. I feel like my fitness takes a hit for sure. Mm-hmm. So um, sympathies, <laughs> um, I can relate. Um, so, uh, okay. So one aspect is to try to create more community on the comp train um, um, platform. So jump more into the Facebook aspect of it um, and chat with people on there. We're also in the process of, um, quote unquote, socializing the leaderboard. Mm-hmm. So you can give fist bumps to each other. You can see people's comments that they put in. You can comment on other people's. So we aware, we're aware that there's a lot of people that are in this boat where they're like, I, I miss community. So we're trying to build that out a little bit more. Um, but then to really answer your question, if you are going back to your gym and you don't want to lose fitness, how should you do that? Um, and you're only doing the 60 minute class, I don't have a good answer for you. I just mm-hmm. don't. Like that's that's your choice. We're gonna be choosing community over results. And I'm not saying that's a bad choice. That's that's what I do in the summer. I choose that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you have more than the 60 minute class, then what you can do is a little extra something. And maybe it's one day you do some running intervals, one day you do some um, lower body strength, the next day you do some rowing intervals, the next day you do some upper body strength. And those four days are probably enough to keep you really primed. You're going to add in just 15 to 20 minutes of kind of like really targeted stuff. And on top of their class, that should probably be enough. Mm-hmm. Would there be any, uh, or would you advise maybe a, a scenario where, this person goes to the gym, does their programming, let's say two days a week, and then does comp train three days a week, four days a week, something yeah, like that? Not. Or is that, no, does I, that get I, real complicated? Yeah, I would not because we're going to be doing um, thrusters on Monday and they're going to be doing jerks on Tuesday. And that's not good programming because then we might be coming back assuming you've, rest, you've rested because yep. we're doing deliberate programming, non-interference, elegance, and allowing for recovery, then we're going to come back on Wednesday and we're going to do a bunch of um, uh, burpees and uh, something else that involves the shoulder a lot and wall balls. And it's just like, it doesn't work to jump programs back and forth, back and forth. Got it. Is there value in watching film of a workout with your athletes like a football coach does? What is the process of evaluating and debriefing after an event with one of your athletes? What kind of things should you be focused on? Techniques, splits, breaks, et cetera. Um, And this is actually reading it out loud. I thought there's probably two answers here. One, maybe like a competition scenario, and then maybe one is a training scenario. And is there value in, you know, again, uh, looking at that film on in, in either or in both at one hundred and ten percent um absolutely so at the games um between events i i do video review between events like mm, i pull up okay. the video of the actual workout and go through it so we can debrief it and we can actually see it and talk about it for real not like this is what i saw what did you feel like mm. this is what happened yep um so 
yeah, from a competitive standpoint and a game day approach, it matters. And then it also matters for uh, like movement analysis and finding out split times and all the things the person mentioned as well. So yep. um, yes, absolutely. Big fan of video reviews. Got it. Um, and that's both for training and competitive environments. Yes. So just a regular, okay, got it. Yep. Cool. Last question we've got for today, for this week, my friends and I were listening to a three by three episode and a question about supplements came up. You kept saying, uh, quote unquote, competitive athletes. I think, I don't remember exactly what we're talking about, but I think your answer is, well, if you're a competitive, then here's yeah, my sure. advice. Yep. Um, and we were, and we, um, they were the, the listener was debating what it means, um, to be, a, to be competitive. I say we qualify as competitive athletes since we train five to six times a week with one or two additional runs per week. They say we are not, um, that that term is reserved for games only, uh, games type people only who is right. What is your definition of competitive? I don't know what it's in reference to what I was talking about last time, but I can talk about what my definition of a competitor is now. And that yeah, has I think very, that's the question. I don't think that it has, was, yeah, think, yeah. It has very little to do with your ability, has very little to do with the results you get um, from a competition. It has. It doesn't even have to do with, are you signing up for a competition? Hmm. It has nothing to do with how many times a day you're training or what your training looks like or whether you're doing stuff after your training. That is the old school definition of a competitor, and I hate it. Mm -hmm. It means, if you look it up in the dictionary, it is one who signs up for an athletic competition. That is not what a competitor is. A competitor is a mindset. A competitor is somebody that wants to better themselves beyond all else. They are in competition, not with their person across the starting line, for across the field, across the ice, whatever it might be. They're in competition with themselves. They compete with themselves on an everyday basis to see what is inside of them. What can I do to become a better version of myself? There's, you know, Darwin's theory of evolution is basically set upon competition. What that means is if we want to evolve as human beings, we have to realize that we are competitive beings. That is not saying that there's finite resources, that my slice of the pie means you get a smaller one, has nothing to do with that whatsoever. It has everything to do with the way you look at challenges, the way you approach your everyday. People that listen to this podcast most likely are competitors because otherwise they just wouldn't gravitate to something like this. When you wake up in the morning, are you excited for the challenges? Do you look at challenges as opportunities to hone who you are from a character standpoint? Not pass fail, not am I going to qualify through the open? That's fixed mindset. That's results oriented. It is truly, can I use this event to better myself, come out of this as a better version of myself? Can I come out of this with more resiliency, more grit, more tenacity, more humility, more patience? Can I forge myself as a human being to become something better? And what you realize is that mindset, that competitor mindset actually elevates humanity because that saying of Ubuntu, that South African saying, which is, I cannot be my best self unless you are your best self. So the true competitors want the people around them to perform as they best as they possibly can. So bye-bye leaderboard and hello, give me better people to compete against. Matt Fraser retiring sucks. That sucks for us because he was the best that ever lived at our sport. We had a person there that would elevate us and now that's gone. And I feel sad about that. I'm happy for him. I'm, he's a friend of mine and I'm really happy for him. And it's been a long time coming and he got to ride off on the sunset on the, you know, 
on his terms, could not have been written better. But for everyone else in the sport that sees themselves as a competitor, this is a bad thing. If you see it as a good thing, you're not a competitor in my mind. You just want the carrots, you just want the trophies, you want the check mark, and you want the applause. That's not a competitor. That's the opposite to me of a competitor. Yeah, a lot there. That was good. That's it. That's it. All right, my friend. Thank you for that. Thank you to everybody who sends us excellent questions like the ones we just answered. If you want to, uh, if you want to get one into the queue, you can find me on Instagram, PS Cummings. Uh, send me a DM, DM and I promise I will see it and I will add it to our list. Thank you as always for listening. And Ben, we will see you next week on another episode of Chasing Excellence. You can get every episode of Chasing Excellence wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube. Until next time, thank you for listening.